0: As we, uh, as we jump in today, uh, I want to tell you a story. So um, as I tell you this story, you can decide whether you believe it or not. How about that? We'll make that deal right here up front. There's a blood drive going on right now in the community space. And I have promoted that blood drive. I've talked about that blood drive. And yet I am not giving blood. So I need to confess to you today. So here's the deal. The very first time I donated blood was back, uh, I think maybe I was a sophomore in college. And uh, as a joke, my then girlfriend, who's now my wife, and my best friend in college signed me up to donate blood without telling me until it was time to donate blood. And so we all walked over to the gym together and I'm thinking, I'm a pretty tough dude, I can take a hit, I can, you know, I got this. And so they hook me up and I'm squeezing a little ball, you know, and I'm, I'm going to town and fill up the bag and they usher you off to the tables where you sit and you eat a cookie and orange juice, which is a horrible combination. Um, and I'm sitting there and Shelly's sitting right next to me. And there's my friend Brad. And I turned to Shelly and I said, I'm going to pass out. And she looked at me and I said, I'm going to pass out. Yup. Yup here I go, here I go, and sure enough, next thing I know, I'm laying on the floor, and there's people standing above me, and somebody's saying, what's his name, what's his name, and I said, Rich, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was when I discovered I have a little issue with giving blood, a couple years later, tried it again, halfway through giving blood, I turn to the nurse, I'm like, I'm gonna pass out, <laughs> oh no, you don't, no. Here I go. Here I go. And there I went. So I, over and over and over this happened. I go in and get, you know, blood tests. They do blood draws or whatever. And they sit you in the most ridiculous chair to do that in. It's like way up off the ground. And I'm like, this is a really bad idea. And it's like, do you have another room where I can lay down? Because I will pass out. And so honestly, I felt like the biggest chicken in the world. It's like, I, I almost cut this finger off. I ripped the tip of this entire finger off by sticking it in a table saw. I mean, I've, I've done horrible things, and I'm like, well, I'll drive myself to the hospital, cut my hand off, whatever. But for some reason, I get shots, all that stuff, but for some reason, when blood is actually being taken from my body, my brain says, this is a really bad idea. <laughs> okay. and, uh, and I found out there's actually like this medical condition, where something, and it's got to be psychological, that there, there's this issue where if, I hope nobody's getting queasy as I'm talking about all this, but if, if blood is being taken from my body, and I feel like such a hypocrite because I'm telling you guys go donate blood, and here I am. I ain't going to do it. I ain't going to do it. I signed up for a marathon, all right? <laughs> so, I ain't, I ain't going to, I'm okay with the blood thing. But don't clap until I actually do it, please. Come on. All right, so um yeah I have concerns anyway um but the the blood thing is just this bizarre thing so I have to just confess to you right up front I am I am sorry about that but if I do that it'll be a nice show and nobody wants to see that show so uh, all of that to say uh, I don't know I just felt like telling you that but anyway today today we're going to end the series on where we've allowed Jesus to reveal to us the kind of person that he uses to see his will done on earth, in the region, as it is in heaven. We prayed that prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Somebody who loves like this, who who prays for their enemies, somebody who brings light into darkness, who does more than what is expected. And Jesus ends this focus, this whole three chapters, which is the Sermon on the Mount, he ends this with a story, and that's where we're going to end today, before we jump into a new series next week. He ends with this story. I'm going to read it for you to Matthew chapter 7 the words will be on the screen you'll see them there but this is jesus speaking he says this everyone then when he who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock the rain fell the floods came the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand the rain fell the floods came The winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. When Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. Now, if you're not new to a church, this parable is not new to you. I mean, I've heard more sermons, more Bible studies, more devotionals, and everything about this particular story. And the reason is it's really cut and dry. This is like Bible 101, okay? There's really not, it's hard to like mess this one up. I might try, but, but it, it's hard to really kind of confuse what Jesus is trying to communicate in this. There's two storylines. The main point of the parable is where the storylines differ. That's the point. That's the issue of contention. And so today we're finishing up this series about what it looks like for us To be the kind of a people that God can use to see His will done on earth as it is in heaven, there's a couple things really quick right here at the beginning that we need to understand. We need to reckon with, and the first is this: you'll see it on the screen. We're all building something. You and I are builders. We are the builders in this story. Jesus, the illustration uses as a house, and you and I understand that this is a metaphor for life. Okay, this is a metaphor for life. We're building something. You're building something. I'm building something in every single decision that you make, in every single word that you speak, action that you take, in every single post that you make, in the values that you hold to in your life. All of those things are building blocks and you are building something, whether you intend to be building something or not. We're all builders. But what I think is really intriguing about this is the focus that Jesus has in here is not necessarily what you are building. Really kind of part of the issue here is number two, what is going to be built is going to be tested. So whatever it is that you're going to be building and whatever you're building on is going to be tested. So in the parable, each of these builders uh, suffered a storm. Uh, There's, when we moved to Racine, uh, everybody told us because we were lo- moving so close to Lake Michigan that there would be no tornadoes. We didn't need to worry about that. We were coming from Iowa. Within a year, there was a tornado in our scene. I don't know what's going to happen now that we've moved here. Uh, <laughs> just kid- prepare yourselves. Um, but all I knew now is that there is a storm. There always is a storm. There always is testing. Jesus said the rain fell, the clouds came, the floods came, the winds blew. They beat against that house. And I think there's something really important to notice here. Each person in this story faced the storm. What that tells me is there's no exemption. There's no exemption. In other words, it's unavoidable that what you are building is going to be tested. Whatever you're building your life out of and whatever you're building your life on is going to be tested. Something's going to happen. Uh, in April 2018, my dad passed away. He had just turned 65. It was a, it was a sudden thing. And um, because of that, because my mom had been gone since 2011, everything kind of fell on me at that point to close up all of his affairs. And so over the la- the, the couple months following April 2018, I made more trips to Illinois from Wisconsin than I can even remember. And, and uh, I had to sell the house. Now, this is the house... That, uh, that I grew up in. This was our childhood home. Uh, a family was built in this house. I have deep affection for that house and that neighborhood and the memories that are associated with it. And that's just kind of what happened. It's hard to sell your childhood home. It really is. And uh, the interesting thing though is I had not lived, I had not physically lived in that house since 1993. That's a big chunk of time between 1993 and 2018. We'd visit, you know, obviously holidays, just different stuff like that, but I didn't live there. And so I did not, you know, as time goes on, you just don't see the changes that happen to a house. And so here I am now cleaning out a house, getting rid of all kinds of different stuff and realizing, man, I wouldn't buy this house, uh, you know, and, and realizing this is probably a project for somebody, and it's not a project any of us three kids are interested in, and uh, so we realized, okay, we're gonna to have to sell this to move it, I mean, price it to move. And so we did, we, we priced it actually below the assessed value just to be able to sell it. And it sat, it sat, people would come through, I don't know how many times somebody came through and they go, no, no, no. I'm like, I get it, I'm a no too. <laughs> and, um, but then finally, it kind of came to the realization that this was really gonna be a massive project and a, a contractor came through looking to flip a house. And then we discovered something. Um, I wish I had the pictures. I looked for them. I know I have them. After we sold the house to the contractor for less than half of the appraised value, there's a reason. The pictures show the entire house lifted and all of the cinder blocks that were around the, the outside as well as the actual foundation, the concrete slab, busted up and sitting on the side of the road. Over the years covered up by the walls in the basement, every single wall in the basement was coming in. In fact, there was piles of dirt and sediment and everything that was being built up between the false wall and the real basement wall. And we had always had water problems in that house, but over the years of not going in the basement because nobody lived there and needed to, it just happened. In other words, a test is going to come And you could have flipped that house. You could have put new windows in it. You could have put a new roof on it. You could have wallpapered. You could have done anything to that house to make it look like a million bucks. But at some point, something was going to happen. And there was going to be a massive failure. A massive failure. Now, it is one thing for a physical house to be tested. It's another thing for that to happen to your life. To your life. Relationships, catastrophes, illness, death, worse. Some storms that you and I face in life, some of those storms are, and I don't minimize them, but some of them are small in the grand scheme of things. You have a temporary period of joblessness that happens for a season. That's a storm that comes, and it begins to reveal a little bit of what's going on under your surface, right? And so some some of those storms are what I would call mile marker storms. Those storms come into your life, and your life's different from that point on. You can point to that and say, yeah, that was... That was when my life changed. I have a friend, I was just thinking about him the other day because the anniversary of this came by. I have a friend who planted a church in Miami a couple years ago, and his wife, her name is Misty. And uh, when I began to get to know them and know their story, I found out that Misty has one of these milestone moments. And that my, You see things on the news, and you don't think you're even remotely connected to those things. And then all of a sudden, it's a very, very small world. Her mother died in the Oklahoma City bombing. And it's a moment for her where she can point and say, okay, that's a storm. That's a mile marker storm. And her life is different today because of it. Some of those things happen. Some of the storms that come into our life are chronic. They're ongoing storms, maybe an illness, something that just kind of hangs on you and you realize, okay, I've got to figure out now what it means for me to live my life with this thing that hangs on me. It's just this chronic thing that doesn't go away. We all face storms in life, no exceptions. Now, in our parable, each house, each builder faces a storm. And again, there's some important things to keep in mind. This is not a parable about weather. <laughs> this is not a parable about how do I build my life so that the storms don't affect me. This isn't a parable about how do I, where do I go to escape the storms in life, that's not how this works. It's not about escaping the threat of a storm. Storms are guaranteed. In fact, Jesus says, "In this world, you will have trouble. In this life, you will have trouble." He goes on to say, "Yet I have overcome the world." But in this world, you will have trouble. There will be trials. You will be tested. What you are building is going to be tested. So, full disclosure, I don't like that at all. I don't like that at all. Um, Even this last week I was contacted by somebody from my former church whose brother was in a horrible, horrible accident uh, in Minnesota and he was on his way there to be there when they turned everything off. My heart hurts for him. I don't want to see people go through things like that. I don't want to hear a cancer diagnosis again for my family. I've been through that enough. I don't want to see my wife tested, my children tested. I don't, I don't want to see my church tested. I don't, I don't want to see those things happen. I don't think anybody signs up for testing. I don't think that they do. That's why. That's why God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven by those that have really wrestled through this third thing. And it's a question. What are you building on? What am I building on? It's been my experience in my personal experience. I think we're all tempted in this to focus on what we are building more than on what we are building on. Okay, let me say that again. We spend more time on what we are building instead of what we are building on. And as we go on further in this, I want to make sure that you hear me clearly. This parable, if you actually stop, I think, and meditate on what Jesus is saying here, Yes, it's very basic and very simple, but if you really kind of dig a little bit, this will mess you up. This will mess you up. Let me explain. So again, in in its simplest form, this message boils down to the fact that your life is only as strong as the foundation you're building it on, right? That's pretty easy to understand. A foundation provides stability It's rooted underground that allows the structure to withstand not only external forces and time, but it's a solid foundation. It can uphold the weight of a structure. A building that does not have a firm foundation is vulnerable. It's vulnerable. It'll weaken, and it'll eventually collapse when a storm comes. Now, the parallels are not hard to to draw here. So if, if we're talking about my life and the foundation that my life is built on, there are people under the umbrella of my life. And it even means that if the foundation that I'm building on starts to crumble and give way, there's, there's collateral damage. Other people are affected. So again, really the most basic point in this parable is that the right foundation matters more than anything else. More than anything else. And that is the sticking point. Jesus' is teaching... That there are foundations that the world offers, and it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Uh, Wealth, material gain, social status, sex, pleasure, drugs, self-improvement. I mean, whatever. I mean, we could go on a list, big one. The problem is, is none of those foundations are stable. I mean, look at financially. I mean, wealth, materialism, that fluctuates with the economy. And how's that do for us? Okay, social status, that's based on people. And guess what? People are flaky. You want proof? There you go, all right? I might be the biggest flake of them all. All right, people are unpredictable. Everybody except you, okay? Pleasure, pleasure leaves you wanting more, pleasure. Okay, self-improvement, that's temporary. 10 out of 10 people die, that's a pretty static statistic, right? I mean... All of these things that we want to build our lives on, we're tempted to build our lives on, just don't last. They don't have any stability. Now, am I saying that those things aren't valuable? No, that's not what I'm saying. That you shouldn't enjoy life or shouldn't have a good social state? Obviously, you should. But they're not foundations. They're not foundations that, that we are being asked to allow ourselves to be built upon. Jesus Christ isn't just saying another foundation won't work. He's making this profound theological statement that really kind of sent ripples through the religious world that he was a part of. I think the best way to do this, I was thinking about this the other day, there's a passage of scripture, fast forward, in Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, you've got uh, Peter and John. Peter and John have been preaching Jesus. They cannot shut up about Jesus, they can't stop talking about Jesus. They're going everywhere talking about Jesus, and people are like, you got to stop talking about Jesus, or you're going to be thrown in prison. They keep talking about Jesus. They keep doing it over and over. Then they heal this crippled guy. Then that really gets the attention of a bunch of people. And so the the officials and the leaders, they drag Peter and John in front of the Sanhedrin to be held for trial, essentially. Essentially, this is a little bit like being pulled in front of the Supreme Court of the day. They're like, you've got to stop talking about Jesus. So give an account, man. How are we going to fix this situation? So let me read this for you. It's Acts chapter 4. And of course, this is Peter talking. It would not be anybody else. It's Peter. Acts 4, 9 through 12. It's on the screen. He says, look, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled guy, by what means this man has been healed? Well, let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Well, good job of obeying the law there, Peter. I mean, he he threw it out the window right in that moment. Then he goes on, this Jesus that you guys crucified, he's the stone that was rejected by you. But now, you guys were the builders, and he's become the cornerstone. There's salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given by men. Why, which me must be saved? That word cornerstone, a cornerstone is the first stone you lay. Because when you lay that stone, you build everything else off of it. And everything else becomes true if the cornerstone is in place. It's built off the cornerstone. And he's saying the cornerstone is the foundation for all of it. For all of it. So the natural, really, really basic question for all of us as we get to the end of this series is this. Is your life built on the foundation of Jesus? We all walked into a church. We all tuned in to a church service. It's not a surprise to ask that, is it? Is your life built on the foundation of Jesus? Now we need to pause for a second. Again, this is a really... Simple metaphor. Uh, I'm not the smartest tool in the shed. And I'm so grateful for a God who really wants us to get it. (laughs) And when I read this parable, it's like, thank you, God. I mean, how much more simple can this get? Uh, Build your life on Jesus. Survive the storm. Don't build your life on Jesus. You're not going to make it. That's the implication, right, in this. In fact, you could make this a salvation message. But... Like I said earlier, if you pause and meditate on this a little deeper, it will kind of start messing with some stuff. For example, those houses were the same. In, in the passage, it doesn't say that those two houses were different. But when I hear the story told, I kind of imagine two different houses being built. But it doesn't say that. The houses are the same. The foundations are different, but the houses... Are the same. Is it possible that one of the implications in this passage is that Jesus isn't just describing Christians and non-Christians? I mean, that's the traditional application, right? I mean, you're a Christian if you build your life on the rock of Jesus. You're a non-Christian if you build your life on the sand. Okay, that's kind of the traditional application of that, and I don't argue with that application. But the parable describes a wise and a foolish builder. I've been a fool as a Christian. Have you? Okay, so what's the implication there? I wonder if maybe even Jesus might be describing two kinds of followers as he's laying this story out. Now remember, Jesus is describing, in all three of these chapters of the Sermon on the Mount, an upside-down kingdom. It's a kingdom that does not make any sense. It's a kingdom that is completely contrary to the pattern of this world. That's the kingdom that you and I are a part of. So that's what he's describing. This is a, a kingdom where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven by a certain kind of person, a certain kind of follower. There's an English theologian, his name's John Stott. He described these builders this way. This is what he said. They both read the Bible, they both go to church, they both listen to sermons, and they both buy Christian literature. The reason you often cannot tell the difference between them is that the deep foundations of their lives are hidden from you. To me, for me personally, that is a reminder that the most important thing about me, the most important thing about you, and sometimes the most revealing thing, is what lies beneath what is supporting what everybody actually sees. There's another author, his name is Sky Jathani. He writes this, Jesus says it is the secret, hidden reality upon which we construct our identity that matters most. The world celebrates the grandeur of the house, but the Lord knows the quality of its foundation. Um, Last weekend, last Friday, our listing for our house in Racine went up. And by Sunday night, we accepted an offer. So just like that. So that's good. You're stuck with me, all right? So, <laughs> Or we're homeless. So, so we bought that house two and a half years ago, and we bought it knowing it had a leak in the basement. And it's not a horrible leak, and we've disclosed that to... <laughs> in all the paperwork, so just so you know, but uh, we knew that that leak was there, and that leak has been there a really, really long time. The house was built in 1941, and the leak in the entire basement comes right underneath the front window and the front door and the front stoop, and here's how it works. The wind has got to be coming out of the north at just the right angle. There's got to be just a certain amount of rain, and it's got to hit the roof just right so that it pours off, hits this over here, trick shots, all that stuff, and then all of a sudden, the water come, found this place where it comes in. Now the house was built in 41. If you ask me, I would say that that leak actually probably started in the in the first 20 years. And I say that because if you walk up to the house, there's this beautiful giant um, front porch, concrete, but it's not original. And so if you dig along the sides and everything, what you see is that the original front porch was much smaller. And it was a bunch of bricks put together with really bad mortar. And somewhere in that first 20 years, they popped off of the foundation. And then, of course, the water, all the stars aligned, all that stuff. Boom, it found its place and began to eat away at the same mortar that is holding the, bl- the, bro- the blocks of the, the foundation together. So it found its way, right? Found its way. So what did they do? They poured this giant facade over the top of the stoop and, you know, did it right up against the foundation. Well, the same thing happens here that happens in Wisconsin. Everything freezes and thaws and freezes and thaws, and it's an 80-year-old house. So it's frozen and thawed a lot of times. Popped off, right? And so now, if the wind's coming in the right direction and this and this and this, bounce, 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 all of a sudden, water comes in and we get the wet-dry vac out, okay? It's just a part of that house. But the reality is, at some point, somebody's going to have to fix it. Now, we know that they'll probably come back after the inspection, hmm, yeah, we'd like for you to fix that. And we say, well, here's a little bit of money. We're not doing it. And that's how those house sales work, right? But at some point, instead of fixing it, listen closely, they poured a facade over it to cover it. The leak probably stopped for a little while. But where there is a fault, the water will find a way. The water will find a way. From the outside, it's an awesome house. It's beautiful inside and out. It's an incredible place. But there's something wrong with the foundation. Now, before you think I'm a horrible human being, we're not selling them like a catastrophe in the waiting. So it's, it's manageable. <laughs> but at some point, it probably should be addressed. There's a problem in this passage of scripture. And the problem is actually in verse 26. But everyone who hears these words of mine and here it is, and does not put them into practice. And does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Because the rains come and the wind blows, the storm settles in and great is the fall. Great is the fall. Should you build your life on the foundation of Jesus? Is that what this passage is saying? Absolutely. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. There's, a, there's an old hymn, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. All other ground is what? Sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Yes. Build your life on the rock of Jesus. But that's not the whole message of this passage, I think. It's great that you have Jesus, but what I'm seeing here is obedience is the mortar. Okay? Okay obedience is the mortar hearing and agreeing with Jesus is great but living out his truth in your life is the foundation that Jesus is talking about here it's great that you know Jesus and you got your ticket stamped and you're going to heaven that's fantastic but the whole gospel is that you and I are representatives of a different kingdom in this world today and God wants his will done on earth as it is in heaven through people like us, that's pretty humbling, isn't it? I know my faults. That's pretty humbling. God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven when God's people live out God's word. And it's obedience. And I know that that's probably a, seems like a harsh, archaic word. We should be people with obedience. Sounds very strict. I mean, I, I don't know how to see anything else. In this anything other than obedience to Jesus creates a fault and when the storm waters rise the rain come and the winds blow that water will find a way in the foundation will fail and I don't know about you I think we're all tempted by a lot of the same things instead of addressing the foundation issues that sometimes arise in my own life what we do is we beef up the walls <laughs> you know what we really need we need new windows or, you know, if we just painted that room or knocked down that wall, or if we put a new roof on, if we really need a new water heater, that's always what will come back in an inspection in case you ever wondered. (laughs) That water heater's old. Well, I installed it myself five years ago, but okay. I'm not (laughs) better. But here's the deal. You can do all of that kind of stuff, give the appearance of being on solid footing, but underneath knowing that no matter how well you decorate your life, no matter what you put on social media about yourself, no matter all of those different things that you do, sometimes we live our lives in such a way that one gust, we're one gust away from the foundation buckling, one gust away. In fact, the more you invest in the building, in what is seen, And don't invest in what is not seen. Jesus says greater will be the fall. The question then, I think for us today, where we're at, where we live right now, the question I think is, what is your sand? What is your sand? I don't think any of us in this room or online would say, yep, I've built my entire life on sand. I mean, you walked into a church. Okay, so we clearly want to know what Jesus has to say. So I don't think any of us would say, yeah, yeah, I've built my entire life on sand. Maybe we've added a little sand to the mix, though. And those are the areas where the faults come. So the question then becomes, what is your sand? Something maybe you don't want to let go of because, man, that's my identity. Or, or maybe it's an area that you control instead of God, and God's been putting his finger on it saying, when are you going to give that to me? When are you going to give that up? What is the sand that we've kind of added to the mix? Maybe it's a lack of forgiveness. Maybe it's repentance. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. But as people, as you and I, people whom God wants to see his will be done, foundation is not just important. Foundation is everything. It's actually everything. I can say with confidence that our future as a church, our future as a church only happens through those who allow Jesus to purify our foundation. And the main way that happens is when you allow God to replace all of that sand with Jesus and Jesus alone. With Jesus and Jesus alone. There is never a command, I think, that is more revealing to followers of Jesus than when he turns to a bunch of people and says, you want to follow me? Deny yourself, pick up a cross, and follow me. We have to be at a place where whatever that crack is in the foundation, whatever sand that we've added into the mix, we're willing to take our hands off of it and approach him and say, fix it, (laughs) take it, change it. Let my entire life be built on the foundation of Jesus. When that happens, when that happens, God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven in ways that we would never imagine. Never imagine. I get excited about that. When you think, and you can't even think, but the things that God can do when we give him 100% control of every area of our lives. I pray that for us. And Can I just tell you where we're going to go the next few weeks into the summer? You'll see it on the screen. Uh, we're going to be doing the This Is Us series. Yep, that's, your, that's some of your faces up there. Aren't you super excited about that? There you go. If we didn't get your picture, we're still happy to take it. Um, but uh, this is going to be good. Um, if somebody walked up to you on the street and said, oh, you go to real life, tell me what that, that's like. You can say, well, this is us. We're love. We are joy. Peace. Peace. We are patience. We're kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. What is the ethos of who we are? Who are we? We need to be able to point at something and say, this is us. Not even just to the rest of the world, but to one another. One another. I'm looking forward to going on that journey with you uh, through the summer. And that'll begin next week. Begin next week. In the meantime, I'm going to ask you to stand if you would. I pray that this series has really helped you. Uh, every time I go through the Sermon on the Mount on my own, I'm reminded. Uh, God, God has this way when you, when you openly and honestly look at the Word of God to begin to pull out things that you need to address. And I've seen things that I need to address in my own life through this. I pray that God's been speaking to you as well and, uh, and to us. To us. Uh, because this is us. This is us. Can I pray for us? Father, thank you so much for your love for us, and um, we are here because of your Son. And I pray a blessing, Father, on every single person uh, who hears my voice right now. I pray that they would sense in their life your presence, your work, your grace, and your mercy, uh, pulling them and drawing them closer to you. And Father, as your church, would would you help us to stay on the potter's wheel? Help us to allow ourselves to be shaped and moved and formed into the vessel that you can use Father, to pour out your spirit in this world, to make your will done here on earth in the region as it is in heaven. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It should be the very first thing that leaves our lips because of your great love for us. So thank you. It's in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. God bless you. Thank you, thank you for being here. And I think you might still be able to donate blood. You ain't going to see me in there. So, you want. Thanks.